We turn to Jeremiah chapter 29, and we begin reading at verse 1, God has a plan. Jeremiah 29, beginning at verse 1. Now these are the words of the letter which Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the rest of the elders of the exile, the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Verse 4 says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them. Excuse me. Build houses and live in them and plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will have welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets who are in your midst And your diviners deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams which they dream, for they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when seventy years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. Let's pray. Father, these are words that you have given, given to us by your spirit. I pray, Lord, that you would take them now. Uh, Teach us, use them, O God, to change and transform our lives. By the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Some years ago, there was a book written with the title, The Chance World. And in this book, the author imagines what it would be like if everything in life happened by chance. Wouldn't that be an interesting book to write? What would you imagine if... If you lived in a world where everything happened by chance. Author says one day the sun would rise, another day it wouldn't. It might appear at any hour, or the moon might appear at any hour, or the moon might show itself instead of the sun. If a child jumped up in the air, it was not certain whether the child would come down. One day a man couldn't get off his chair Another day, he would go right through the floor to the basement. The forest would be so strong. So can you imagine what it would be like to live in a world where everything happened by chance? 
When we examine the physical world around us, it's clear that we, we don't live in a world, in a chance world. There are certain laws like, like gravity that are constant. If you jump up in the air, guess what's going to happen? You are going to come down. Now, I know some basketball players, they say they got good hang time, you know. <laughs> doesn't matter about your hang time. You jump up, you're going to come down. You jump off the roof of this building, you are going to go down, right? Because there are certain laws, certain constants that never change. We don't live in a chance world. But you know, when it comes to the events of our lives, there are many people who believe that, in fact, we do live in a chance world. They can't make sense of some of the trials and troubles of life, so they conclude that they are just victims of bad luck, victims of misfortune, victims of chance, right? Because there's no one that has a plan for their lives. They're just here by chance, and that's the way that you have to function in, in this world. If you believe the Bible, you have obviously come to a different conclusion, haven't you? We do not live in a chance world. There is a God. He does have a plan for your life and my life. And maybe one of the clearest chapters that illustrates that is this chapter in Jeremiah, where the Lord says, I've got a plan for you. I have a plan for you. So what is God's plan for us? I would suggest there are four lessons that we learn in this chapter. First of all, God's plan for us is to listen to his word. If there was ever a group of people that needed to hear from God, it was the people to whom this chapter was written. They had despised the word of God for many years. And as a result of it, they were paying the price for it. As 2 Chronicles chapter 36 tells us what happened. Verse 15, it says, The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent word to them again and again by his messengers, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they continually mocked the messengers of God, despised his words, scoffed at his prophets, until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people. And here is quite a phrase, until there was no remedy. It had come to the place where God needed to judge his people, and he did. Verse 17, Therefore he brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans, who slew their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary, and had no compassion on young man or virgin, old man or infirm, he gave them all into his hand. Year after year, they just laughed at the prophets. They scoffed at the prophets. They despised the prophets. Jeremiah being one of them. Over and over he said, if you do not listen, if you don't turn from your sin, God will judge you. And they just laughed at it. They said, well, we got the temple. God would never do this to us because we got the temple. And sure enough, judgment came. Now, God could have rightly said to the people of Israel, I'm done with you. He could have said, I've got nothing more to say to you. You've spurned me long enough. But while they were in Babylon experiencing the discipline of God, God sent word to them. 
And that word came through Jeremiah. And if you notice in this chapter how many times Jeremiah says, this isn't my message, this comes from God. Verse 4, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Verse 8, for thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Verse 10, for thus says the Lord. Verse 16, for thus says the Lord. In fact, in the 32 verses of this chapter, there are 19 times, 19 times when Jeremiah says, thus says the Lord. This is the word of God sent to you. So his message is pretty clear. God has something to say to you, O Israel, and you need to hear it. You need to hear it. I can't help but think that we are at a place in the history of our country where we desperately need to hear the Word of God. We are at a place where God may so choose to bring judgment upon our nation in a way that we have never seen before. I fear for the future of our country. If we don't turn back to God, if we don't begin to listen to His Word, what will the result be? What will it be? God has ways of dealing with nations. And you read through the Scripture and you see over and over again how God dealt with those who refused to acknowledge His Word. We need to listen. We need to wake up and hear, what does God have to say to us? That's the first part of His plan. God's plan for us is to listen to His Word. The second thing we notice here, God's plan for us is to learn from His Discipline. If I asked you who was responsible for the exile of the Israelites into Babylon, what would you say? If you said Nebuchadnezzar was responsible for that, you'd be right, at least partially right, because we see that right in our text, don't we? Verse 1. These are the words of the letter which Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the rest of the elders of the exile, the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom... Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So, we could say, yes, it was Nebuchadnezzar. But if you said that it was God who was the one who carried them into exile, you would also be right. Verse 4, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile... From Jerusalem to Babylon. So, a question. Can it be both? Absolutely, it's both. Right? There's no contradiction here. Although Nebuchadnezzar was the human instrument who brought the Israelites into Babylon, God was the one who was behind it all. He used the Babylonians as his rod of correction upon his people. Christopher Wright, in his commentary, says, At the level of human history, what any observer would have seen was the army of Nebuchadnezzar carrying out his orders. There was terrible violence, suffering, cruelty, destruction, death, and loss, all the work of evil men 
doing evil deeds for which they themselves bore responsibility. Nebuchadnezzar did it. He goes on to say, but at another level, what the eye of the prophet saw as he had seen and told for years was the hand of God behind the hammer of Nebuchadnezzar. It was God who had brought the Babylonians as agents of his judgment upon his recalcitrant people, as he had done in previous centuries through other imperial armies. God did it. Or rather, to use Jeremiah's terms, Nebuchadnezzar did it, but functioning as God's servant. Now, this must have been... If you put yourself in the shoes of the people of Israel, this must have been a very difficult thing to accept. It seems to go directly contrary to what they had always been taught, that the land of Canaan was their land, the land that God had promised them. But now they were taken from Babylon to or from Jerusalem to Babylon. And he mentions that twice in verse 1 and verse 4. From Jerusalem to Babylon. Wright goes on to say the whole history of the Old Testament had gone in the opposite direction. From the land of Babel, Genesis 11, to Jerusalem. From God calling Abraham out of the land of Babylon to establishing his people in the land of Jerusalem and putting his name and his temple there. He says that was the flow of sacred history from Babylon to Jerusalem. But now, what do we read? From Jerusalem to Babylon. He says, it seems that the whole plot is unraveling. God has pressed the rewind button. And history is going backwards. And then he asks the question, how can God reverse his plans? The rewind button was hit, right? Well, we know from our text that God had plans to bring His people back to their land. It would again be from Babylon to Jerusalem. But first, He tells them how they need to respond to His discipline. Look at verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses... And live in them. And plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters. And take wives for your sons and give your daughters for husbands that they may bear sons and daughters. And multiply there and do not decrease. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will have welfare. What is God saying to them? He's saying, don't rebel against my discipline. Grow through it. Prosper through it. Make the most of it. I'm sending you there. Multiply. Grow. Don't rebel against My discipline. I find it interesting that he uses the word multiply. The command to multiply 
while in Babylon reminds us of Genesis, right? Be fruitful and multiply. That's the language of creation. The language of creation. So for Israel in Exodus or in exile, there was an opportunity for a fresh start, like a new creation. Okay? I'm sending you here now. I want you to multiply. This is your opportunity to grow. And the command to multiply also reminds us of the book of Exodus, chapter 1, verse 7. It describes the people of Israel in Egypt. What does it say? They multiplied. The more they were persecuted, the more they multiplied. So for Israel in exile, there was going to be not just a new creation, but a new exodus. You see how that word multiply reminds us of what had happened in the past. And now God is saying, okay, you are in Babylon. I want you to multiply because you've got a fresh start. You've got a new exodus. I'm going to bring you back. To the land from which I sent you. So what's the lesson? When the discipline of God comes upon our lives, there is a gracious opportunity for change. If we are willing to learn from it, and that is the key, right? If we are willing to learn from it, God can give us a new start as we leave the old life behind. So people of Israel, you're in Babylon. Multiply there. Work there. Grow there. But then the Lord said something through Jeremiah that probably was a little bit challenging for the people. Because he said in verse 7, Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will have welfare. So God is telling His people that He sent them into Babylon, and while they were there, they were to have a spiritual purpose. They were to pray for the welfare of the city. Now, put yourself in the shoes of the people of Israel. Who is God asking them to pray for? The Babylonians of all people. Pray for that city. Can you imagine what that must have sounded like in their ears? Are you kidding me? Do you know what they've done to us? Think of it. They had no mercy on the people. They, we read it from 2 Chronicles 36. They slew people right in the temple, took them captive, pray for them. You think that was an easy thing to hear? Read Psalm 137. It describes the attitude of some of the exiles in Babylon. And verse 8 says, O daughter of Babylon, you devastated one, how blessed will be the one who repays you. (laughs) That was their attitude toward Babylon. How blessed is the one who repays you with the recompense with which you have repaid us. The next verse might sound a little shocking. 
Psalm 137, verse 9, How blessed will be the one who seizes and dashes your little ones against the rock. You catch that? That was the attitude of some of the exiles. And then Jeremiah comes and says, Pray for the city. If you were an exile, what would you be thinking? What would your flesh say? Are you kidding me? Pray for people like that. It must have seemed impossible theologically and emotionally and politically to pray for the welfare of Babylon, but that's what Jeremiah insists was their mission. Why? Because they were called to be a light to the Gentiles, right? They were with Gentiles now. Were they going to be a light there? Were they going to pray for the city? I would suggest to you that that was a challenge. That was a hard word. But we know there was at least one who uh, took that challenge to heart. Daniel seems to understand that, right? We know that he prayed three times a day. And I wonder, I just wonder, if King Nebuchadnezzar was on Daniel's prayer list. Do you know why I say that? It would explain Daniel's reaction to Nebuchadnezzar's second dream. Remember, you're going to be... The dew of heaven is going to come down on you and you're going to be eating grass like cattle. And you remember when Daniel realized that the dream applied to Nebuchadnezzar, he offered him some, ju- or some advice how to avoid that impending judgment. And you get the impression that Daniel actually cared for the king. And if he was praying for him, that would explain why he cared for him. Wouldn't it? Because when you're praying for someone, God does something in your heart so that you begin to care for them. Even someone that wronged you. Even someone that hurt you. And so I would suggest that Daniel was one of those who took the advice of Jeremiah to pray for the city. Maybe even pray for the king. Pretty amazing. Do you think God would want us to pray for those who hate us? I don't think we need to even doubt that, right? Matthew 5, Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor. And what? Hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's what Daniel did. And when Daniel prayed for Nebuchadnezzar, he began to care for him. He learned from God's discipline upon his people and it made a difference. Made a difference in his life. Have you learned from God's discipline? You know, sometimes we're like, like stubborn children, right? I remember one time when my dad spanked me and I had a rebellious attitude. You know what I said? I said, that didn't hurt. That was the wrong response. I did not learn from 
that form of discipline. I learned from the next form of discipline because it became a little bit more serious, shall I say. So you think of the people of Israel. How many times did God discipline and send word to them and over and over they despised it and just, you know, sniffed in the face of God and God said, okay, would they learn now? And that's the question you and I need to, am I going to learn from the discipline of God in my life where I'm just going to continue to go my own way and just kind of do my own thing? Have you learned from God's discipline? Thirdly, God's plan for us is to wait for his timing. If there's one thing that is difficult for us to do, isn't it hard to wait? Hard to wait for something to happen. By nature, I don't know if everybody is, but I think most of us, we, we, we are impatient. Even when it comes to God's timing, right? And we question God's timing sometimes. So here's the exiles in Babylon. It would have been long to wait for 70 days for some of us, right? Or 70 weeks. How about 70 months? How about 70 years? Verse 10, For thus says the Lord, When 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. I can't imagine what it was like to wait for 70 years. 70 years seems like a long time. Although as I get closer to 70, it's maybe not as long. But can't you picture the people in exile saying to themselves, our return to Israel will never happen. It'll never change. We go year after year after year after year after year in this place that we don't want to be. The great preacher Phillips Brooks struggled with God's timing and he was seen one day just pacing back and forth in his office and someone asked him, why are you pacing back and forth in your office? And he said, I'm in a hurry, but God isn't. <laughs> oh my, how many times have you felt that way? I'm in a hurry, I want... This to happen, but God doesn't seem to be in a hurry. God, hurry up. Do something. I think we need to remember that God's plan for our lives, the next phase of that plan for our lives will take place when He deems best. His timing is always perfect, and that's why we can trust Him with our future. He knows exactly what to do and when to do it. Right? Have you learned that? Have you learned that you were waiting for something to happen, and it didn't happen, and finally, maybe down the road it happened, you look back and say, boy, I'm sure glad God knew what He was doing, because I sure didn't. Huh? And yet the next situation we face, what are we struggling with? Come on, come on, come on, come on. We need answers. God has His timing. 
Philip Ryken says, if God's plans are for the future, the Christian must not complain about the present. One of the dangers of grumbling about what God is doing is that whatever it is, God probably is not finished doing it. By its very nature, a plan is something that will not be completed until sometime in the future. And once it is completed, it will not be a plan anymore. It will be history. Then he says, if God has plans for hope and a future, you must give him enough time to work them out. <laughs> right? Lord, you've got a plan for my life, for our lives. Let's allow the Lord to work out that plan. Not in our time, but in His time. And often that means to wait. Now, there are some times when God <laughs> gives us the next phase of our plan where we say, Whoa, wait a minute, I'm not ready for that, right? But there are other times which is like, Oh, Lord, I don't want to wait any longer. God says, Wait. My timing is perfect. Dr. Arthur Pearson once told of being alone in the study of George Mueller. And he was thumbing through a Mueller's Bible and he came to Psalm 37, verse 23, where it says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And in the margin, Mueller wrote these words, and the stops, too. Not just the steps of a good man are ordered, but the stops, too. We like the fact that our steps are ordered by the Lord, but we need to realize that the stops are, too. Right? God's plan for us to wait for His timing. Then finally, God's plan for us is to seek His you see, times of waiting can be very challenging, especially when we are facing difficult situations. But times of waiting can bring great blessing. Because it's during these times that we are much more aware of our need to cry out to God, right? Notice what Jeremiah says is going to happen to the exiles as they wait for God's plan to be fulfilled. Verse 12, Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your hearts. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes, and I will gather you from all the nations, from all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. From Babylon to Jerusalem, the rewind, right? Back to what God's original plan was for them, to take them from Babylon and bring them to that land of Israel. I will listen to you, the Lord says. I will be found by you. So the purpose of all that God does in our lives is to draw us to Himself. Right? That we would seek Him. And when we seek Him, 
We will find him and he will bless us for the plans. He says, I have for you are for welfare, not for calamity to give you a future. And a hope. I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to think about, do you want God's plan for your life? Now, the immediate answer, we would say, well, of course. Who wouldn't want God's plan for their lives? What a silly question. Do you really? Even if it isn't what you planned for your life. Any of you got plans for your life? Plans for your future? Huh? Any of you so detailed you got a six-month plan and a one-year plan and a five-year plan and a ten-year plan and a twenty-year plan? Any of you that organized? What if that plan doesn't fit with God's plan? So let me ask you again. Do you really want God's plan? If you're convinced of his goodness and his power and his wisdom, then the response ought to be, well, why, would, why wouldn't I, huh? Why wouldn't I? I read about an old Scottish woman. She would travel from house to house out in the country selling thread, buttons, and shoestrings. <laughs> Can you imagine being a... What do you do for a job? Well, I sell thread, buttons, and shoestrings. I knock on doors. That's what she did. And when she came to an unmarked crossroad, she would take a stick and toss it in the air. And whatever way the stick pointed, that's the way that she would go. I guess that's one way to figure it out. So, someone noticed that she was repeatedly throwing this stick up, landing on the ground, picked it up, threw it up again, and it would land on the ground... Over and over, throwing the stick up and landing it on the ground. And someone said, well, why do you keep tossing the stick up in the air? And she said, it has pointed every time to the road to the right. And I want to go to the road on the left. It just looks smoother. You know what? The road that God has planned for you may not be the smoother road. Now, we might wish... That were the case. But the road that God has planned for us, even though it might not be the smoother road, would we not agree that it is the best road? Of that, we can be sure. So don't make the mistake of taking that stick and tossing it up in the air until it finally lands in the way that you wanted it to go. Because God might have another plan for your life. So what's the lesson? Let let the Lord lead you. His plan for you is to give you a future and a hope. Don't be stubborn like the people of Israel who despise the Word of God over and over and over again. Surrender, right? Lord... What do you want from me? I want to follow your plan. I want to do your will. I want to go down the road that, that you lead me, because I know you're going to walk with me as I go down that road. God has a plan for your life. 
and for mine. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your great mercy and love and grace that you poured out upon us. And if you are willing to give your life for us, we know that you'll provide all that we need. As our shepherd, you will guide us, you will lead us. The pathway may not always be the smoothest pathway to take. But Father, we have that assurance based on your word and based on your character that your plan is a good plan. Help us to embrace that today. Help us to rejoice in that as well. And help us to be willing to say, Lord, I will follow where you lead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.